Hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you. Say hello. Welcome to the Huskies Hockey Podcast, off-season edition, number one. Uh, this is not Weldy, this is Andrew. I know you're already thrown off because we've we've switched uh, post roles for this episode. I like to call it a line change. We're, we're, making, change. we're, like we're making a line change here. We're uh, switching it up, and uh, this is what we got. For those uh, old time fans of the Husky Hockey Podcast, you might remember the, the, the first version I was in the host chair. I thought Weldy did a great job in the host chair for the reboot uh, of the podcast, but for the offseason, we want to switch some stuff up. So it might be me next month, it might be Weldy, it, we might flip-flop for the summer months, because these, these episodes are a little bit more freewheeling, we don't have games to, to discuss, we've got plenty of news to discuss this month. Yeah, a month, a month was quite a bit <laughs> for us to kind of take some time off, or month, month and a half even. Because, uh, right. yeah, a lot of news came down the pipe. So, you know, we're known for uh, being very short and succinct with our answers. So we'll just rattle these through, right? Boom, boom, boom. Yep. 20-minute podcast uh, coming up. <laughs> um, and, and please uh, we could have a, that. We could have a 20-minute discussion on some oh. dumb rule change that may or may not we, even we go already into did. In the green room, we already did. So... <laughs> Buckle up, but this is Andrew uh, along with Weldy. This is the Huskies Hockey Podcast, uh, the world's number one podcast for St. Cloud State men's Huskies hockey news and CHC. We take a look at the NCAA. College hockey. If you're a college hockey fan, and especially if you're a St. Cloud State uh, Huskies hockey fan, you've come to the right place. Or even if you and just hate North Dakota. There you go. We, we welcome or, you. Gopher haters, you know, the enemy or what is it? The, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So I don't know if that made sense, but not in Dick Tracy. Hockey fan, Dick Tracy, the <laughs> enemy of my enemy is my enemy. That's Weldy who comes with the, uh, the movie references. Um, Dick Tracy is so good. <laughs> I don't care. I don't. It's like a guilty pleasure movie for me. Yeah, it's a little rough around the edges, but God, they could do they could do a pretty good Dick Tracy reboot. They should do a Dick Tracy reboot and a Carmen San Diego. Like you can do a good heist Carmen San Diego movie. Cat and Mouse. Oh, that'd be so good. Do like a mashup. Kind of like an alien predator sort of thing. Put them both in the same movie. I never even really, thought of that. Really, this is maybe we just came up with our best idea of this oh. entire podcast's history. It's go. possible. I'll start writing but, the script right now. You do that. <laughs> uh, Stay tuned. I'll bring the up. We're wearing fedoras right now in in uh, honor of Dick Tracy and uh, Carmen Sandiego. But before we get too far uh, afield uh, into superhero movies, we can talk about some Huskies hockey news. Because, like I said, we've got plenty of that. Since so the last time we, we spoke was, I think, right after the Frozen Four. So about a month and change ago. And it was at that time... We uh we did announce it was actually after we recorded, we recorded a little bonus 
uh, mini episode, uh, a reaction video, so to speak, audio only, about the Huskies getting uh, part of their goaltender situation um, shored up for next year, bringing in uh, Dominic Bassey from uh, Colorado College. So go back to our previous episode if you want a full, deep, you know, 20-minute dive <laughs> on, on Bassey. Uh, but uh, since then, a couple of other uh, transfers have uh, brought, been brought into the St. Cloud fold. We've got uh, Grant Crookshank, also CC alum, uh, spent his first two years uh, with the Tigers, and then last year uh, transferred to the Gophers. So this is his second transfer, uh, and third, it'll be his third college team. Uh, I think bringing in some, some well-needed center depth for this team team is a little shorthanded on centers and it's Crookshank's natural position. And it's a guy that uh, hasn't been very prolific from a scoring standpoint uh, in his career uh, for the Gophers last year, uh, seven goals, eight assists for 15 points. You know, that was about third line time for the Gophers uh, and, and put about, you know, I don't know if he's had a 20 point season, even, even with CC, but, a uh, good, no. uh, yeah, good uh, face-off guy, and I, I think a, a solid addition for the team could sort of turn into a a Fitzgerald-esque type player. I don't know if he's going to put up the type of points that Fitzgerald did this this past season, but I think a, a well a, a good veteran presence. And we mentioned this last week too with Mietnin, who took zero penalty minutes for his second straight year. Crookshank also no penalty minutes last year with the Gophers, uh, and which is, uh, you know, you don't like to take penalties, but I do like to have a little grit uh, in, in my team. I so mean, I, I don't true, but this is like, you're just better at hiding it. So it's like, right. so it's like you're cheating, but you don't get caught. I mean, this is, this is, this is it's pretty good. I, yeah. I, I am not uh, complaining about Crookshank. I don't, like I said, I don't think he's going to be your leading scorer next year, but, um, I think he's going to be a very key member for this team. What's your thoughts on uh, on Grant Crookshank? I mean, like you like you said, the big thing is that he plays center, and that's where we are. We're hit the hardest. Um, so obviously, um, Cronilla, but I mean, Salquist, Spalisi, uh, it's it's thin there, and yeah. so him him coming in a little more. You know, that veteran presence, uh, face-off guy, like you said, I feel, and, you know, I, you, you know, uh, people can go ahead and double-check uh, this for me uh, in, you know, dirt after the show or whatnot, but it felt like he was always kind of a streaky player where, you know, there would be some games he would just kind of take it over and other games he'd just be invisible. I remember him having some really good games against St. Cloud State, um, so I'm probably actually putting him maybe on a little bit more of a pedestal, um, but maybe it's also because nobody on that CC, those CC teams were very good. So he's the one that kind of stood out. So um, I thought I was happy to move um, and I was under the impression that we were also kind of in the running for him uh, when he decided to go to the Gophers. Uh, so him kind of circling back and say, you know, come, come back. And deciding that St. Cloud State is the place to finish off his career, it's you know I'm I, I, I'm happy to see it, and I'm happy to get a little bit of uh, veteran center depth, which is always a good thing. Yeah, good skater. Uh, he's the son of Olympian Bonnie Blair and 
you'll hear that about every game from Jim Rich next year. So be prepared to hear some Bonnie Blair stories. Speed skating legend, Bonnie Blair. So yeah, I agree that uh, the, the center position is being shored up with this, uh, this transfer, and I think he's going to bring some nice leadership. If he can pop in 20 points, even better. Uh, and then also another uh, a transfer player that the Huskies acquired, Dylan Anhorn, defenseman from Union. He played at Union uh, for the last two years. So he's going to be a junior. He's got two years left of eligibility um, for the Huskies. We should mention Crookshank. This will be his final year. Actually, well, I'm not sure. They list him as a senior here on the Rink Live, but again, with that extra year of eligibility from the COVID year, he might have two years left, uh, but I'm not sure. Plus, this is his second transfer. I don't know if he, because it, this might be his grad transfer. I'm not sure how he can do that. I'm still sort of you know, getting all the rules straight with the transfer situation, transfer portal. It's still kind of a, a new thing. So I think he's got one year left, but I think it's for he sure. Did- he did three at Colorado College. He did. Okay. Well, yeah. then, yeah. So this would be one more, his last year for St. Cloud. Anhorn, two years at, at Union, put up 20 points on the point for Union. Pretty impressive for a defenseman. Uh, now, ECAC's been down uh, for the last few years. Union, along with seven other ECAC teams, sat out that 2020-2021 season. So... He's got a year in between there that he did not play. So he's got two years left, but he seems like a guy, and, and I was not someone that was familiar with him. Um, yeah, I watched a couple of Union games this year, but it's not like I can say that I was scouting Dylan Anhorn uh, closely. But just the stat line is intriguing, and he's a guy that's going to be able to step in right away. We thought that uh, defense wasn't necessarily a position or a, you know, a, position of of great need for this Huskies team. Uh, it's a deep a deep run of defensemen um coming into this season, but adding a guy that's got some experience and has proven to have a little bit of be a bit of an offensive touch, uh I think that's a good move. And wondering it who this affects the most from the St. Cloud point position as far as, you know, who's Anhorn taking time from. Again, we've got guys like Zemer from last year that were impressive in small doses, but just weren't able to crack the roster uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this move. And if you are sort of worrying at who is kind of going to be on the short end of the stick from bringing a, a, a transfer defenseman in, if there is that. And I've also heard that, you have the Weldies have a, a, a bit of a connection to the Anhorn family, and you can you can touch on I mean, that as well. I mean, I wouldn't call it a connection. I mean, connection is, like implies that I know of even the family tree. But yes, my mother's na- uh, maiden name is Anhorn, uh, and uh, she kind of went into a little bit of. Uh, explanation about the the Canadian Anhorns and and uh, a little bit of the family tree here that goes uh that goes back so we are probably related and probably so far down the family tree that it doesn't even matter so 
Uh, but it'll be kind of cool to hear his name over the PA system uh, and be like, hey, uh, I that's my mom's maiden name. So that's kind of cool. And, and and a unique name, not like, cool, you're an Olsen. There's a billion Olsons, you know, so kind of right. kind of a unique. One. So that's a little bit of connection there. As far as uh, the player, obviously, yeah, I haven't seen him play. Um, you know, being uh, a union, what are they on ESPN plus was ECAC? Did that oh, yeah. ESPN plus, right? Oh, so. sure. Sure. So, um, but he played, I see here, he only played 29 games, so I don't know if he was injured for a little bit of it or, or whatnot, but 20 points in 29 games is, um, you know, yeah. Another puck moving, uh, a defenseman, which you can't really, uh, have enough of and, uh, you know, you bring up an interesting point is who who gets bumped from this. Uh, and, you know, you know, Treble, Bushy, you know, Zemer, you know, those are those are ones that probably are going to be kind of rotating in and out if Anhorn's going to get, you know, a little bit more of the playing time. Uh, so it's, you know, Anhorn, you know, maybe he's with Meyer, Peart, but, you know, Lutke. I mean, th- these these are some puck moving guys. And yeah. It's going to be uh, kind of fun to watch the watch the defense and and you know obviously we're going to need to with you know you know Bassey and and now the uh, new goaltender um, also that we have uh, coming up with Gray. It's going to be you know uh, defense is going to be need to be a strong suit and um, having the ability to kind of kind of kind of put in you know maybe some defensive first people people like like with uh with with tray ball and whatnot or maybe if you want to go up and do a running gun type uh with all the puck movers you know having options is always is always a good thing yeah and you said so you had mentioned james gray uh this was this is a fairly new um commit in the last week or so james gray uh from toronto uh is going to be coming in it sounds like it's going he's going to be coming in this fall uh goaltender um so, I mean, we talked last month, uh, thinking that Bassey and, um, God, I forgot his name already. Caster. My favorite, my favorite goaltender, uh, in-house goaltender, Jackson Caster. Figure that those guys are going to get a fair amount of work. Bassey, I would say maybe the, the, the slight edge as far as the favorite to be the main starter, but I would not be surprised if there was a, a, a split, a significant chunk of time for, for both Caster and Bassey. James Gray put up great numbers uh, in juniors. Now he's playing uh, in the OJHL, the Ontario Junior Hockey League, not to be confused with the Ontario Hockey League. This is, I think, what they call Junior A, uh, whereas the Ontario Hockey League is major juniors. So this is the second tier um, Canadian Junior League. Like the AJHL or the BCHL, you know, the same kind of level there. Correct. So. Yeah, and I don't think it's on the level of the USHL, but probably something like the NAHL yep. um, in, in, in the American Junior Leagues. And nothing wrong with the NAHL goaltenders. Uh, Duluth seems to be cycling through those guys for like the last seven years and winning national titles uh, with NAHL-type goaltenders. So Shout I, out, uh, you know, just, just quickly shout out to the uh, St. Cloud Norsemen, uh, you know, uh, uh, ooh, I was just about to say punching their ticket, but I know people hate that phrase because there's no punching tickets. Uh, but they advanced to the uh, Robertson Cup in uh, Blaine. So uh, oh, good wow. for the Norsemen. Yes. So, yes, um, the but, NHL team from St. Cloud. Yep. 
Uh, but yeah, for the NHL, you know, it's, it, it's still a fairly strong league. Um, and, oh, yeah. and yeah, that second level in Canada, especially, um, you know, that junior level, you still keep your college eligibility. Whereas in the major juniors, it's you're considered Correct. professional in the eyes of the NCAA for a majority of cases Every once in a while, you hear of weird one-offs where they can play in both. But I mean, that happens once every few years. But so it's, um, yeah, I mean, last season, 36 games, uh, 1.96 goals against with a 9-3-1 save percentage. I don't, if you're in any type of reputable league and putting up those numbers, you're, you're going to get some, some eyes on you. So I'm happy, um, you know, goaltending depth, obviously a need for pretty much everyone in the country. So I'm happy that, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing what he's got, you know, six, two. So he's not an incredibly big body, but a little bit on the bigger side. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of, I've got my, I've got my, uh, my hopes up for him. I'll say that. Well, yeah. And I mean, we might at this very early stage pencil him in as the third goalie on the depth chart, but I don't think this is a typical third goalie situation. Uh, I would not be surprised if, if Gray gets a couple of starts during the season. And, and of course, who knows about injuries too? He, may, he might be thrust into a, posi- uh, a starting position by necessity, more so by choice. But, you know, quick, last year it was... Quick prediction. I want a quick sure. prediction from you right now. Who starts first, Caster or Gray? Just between those two goalies? Yep. I would say Caster. Okay. I think I would say Bassey is going to get the majority of the starts next year. I I'll agree. I'll go as far as to say that. It might be something like 16, 10, and 6. Nah, that's 32. It might be a split like that. Where, where okay. It's not... You know, not like Rennick, where Rennick was doing 28 starts and Castro was doing four or five. Uh, I, I think, think Larson's going to more... learn his lesson not to do that. <laughs> and, and so last year you had Lamaru who was their third goaltender, and he just got into one game. I think played a period and a half against St. Thomas, and that was it. He transferred to uh, Anchorage, I believe it was, one of the Alaskans. Um, so barely used Lamaru. He he had a few starts in that uh, COVID year. I know he started a, a game or two in the in the bubble um, in in Omaha, but did not get hardly any time over this last season. But with this Gray coming in, would not be su- surprised if he gets a handful of starts next year. And who knows? He might Wally Pip the situation uh, and and turn out to steal a job. Who knows? I mean, he's still got this Isaac pa- Posh. At the USHL, sounds like he's going to be back in the USHL for his last year of junior eligibility next year. And, you know, struggled this year uh, with Sioux Falls. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that had a little bit of hype coming into his his commitment. So I'm sure he's going to get a, a, a good look uh, if and when he does arrive on campus 2023. Uh, but keep a eye on this James Gray. I would not be shocked if he's a guy that emerges uh, from the situation, uh, as a guy that, that gets more than just token look. So, and it's just, uh, you know, I had to, I was not even familiar with this OJHL. Um, I had to kind of do some research on that league. I mean, we've plenty familiar with BCHL. A bunch of guys have, for, for the Huskies have come out of that league. Um, and although, although uh, I, I don't know if I can name a team that isn't the Penticton V's <laughs> from that's the BCHL. True. 
Uh, I know that's it's the oh, here I got I got the list. So I'm guessing I'm, yeah yeah the Trail Smoke Eaters. I know I've heard, <laughs> heard of them just because of that name, and that's where uh, Evan Bushy is right now. But uh, uh, yeah, if you gave me a few minutes, I might be able to to scrounge some names of BCHL teams from the depths of my brain. But you're right, Penticton is or Penticton is kind of the uh, the juggernaut, and it's kind of the because that's where I believe uh, Fred Harbison is. Yep. Who is a St. Cloud alum, and he's been coaching that team for a number of years. And so I think there is kind of a natural pipeline. Uh, that's where, like, Benick uh, did his juniors. Um, so familiar with BCHL, but, you know, uh, we've, now we've got even the AJHL and the MJHL from Manitoba and, and Alberta. Um, got a couple of commits coming in from those leagues. That's where I believe Kupka came from, one of those two leagues. So they're beginning to use the uh, Canadian Junior A leagues a little bit more frequently for recruits, and I think it's uh, I- I'm chalking it up to the Dave Shyak effect, you know, coming from Anchorage where he was a-, a coach for a number of years. I think his recruiting base was was Canadian uh, Junior A leagues, and he's the guy that it sounds like uh, was was in on this James Gray, uh, getting him to commit. He's the guy that is. Credited with bringing Adam Ingram in, whose you know draft stock keeps rising, could be a late first round draft pick this year uh, in the NHL draft, lighting up the USHL for Youngstown this year. We've got guys that are looking at the uh, the commitments list here on the Rink Live. We've got a number of guys from you know we've got three guys from Calgary um, on this on this list. Uh, Ethan Acoin, which I believe is coming in next year, um, he's in the uh, AJHL right now. Tyson Gross is in the USHL. I think he's going to be coming in next year, not this coming year. But uh, and this Anhorn also from Calgary, um, and I'm I'm sure pretty sure that uh, that Shyak was was in on on landing Anhorn in that transfer portal. Um, so it's just a, it's it's a bit of a a, a change. Um, Matsko, you know, occasionally brought in Canadian players. Um, but not to the extent that it seems like we're seeing now. And uh, like I said, uh, when Mick Hatton will report on on these commits, it seems like Shyak's name comes up a lot with these Canadian kids. So uh, I'm excited to see how this how this takes them. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting just to note the shift in uh, in where they're recruiting from. I mean, they, they still have a, a a nice presence in the state of Minnesota. Uh, and I don't think that's not going to go away, but you know, it's nice to be able to, and, and as you said, NAHL is a league that in the last 10 years has greatly increased its profile and its overall skill level. I think that you could say the same with these, you know, uh, AJHL, MJHL, now the OJHL. Um, it's, it's nice to see that these leagues are now getting tapped into for, for serious NCAA, uh, prospects. Yeah, I, I was looking at the OJHL only had about 20 players or so that were currently committed to NCAA programs. A lot of them were committed to OHL programs. So it's like, this is a stepping stone to go to major junior for a lot of players. I mean, obviously most of them are Canadian born. Uh, and so the NCAA might not be their first, you know, desired uh, landing spot. Mm-hmm. But And, and not know, only that, dozen, but like the exposure is because, you know, you're not, you're not, you're only exposed to, you know, o- OHL and that major junior and they, they've got such a stronghold there that, you know, that's all people are going to talk about. I mean, 
so it's it, it's probably a little bit harder for these college teams to kind of come up and and knock on their kids' doors and say, "Hey, you know, let me let me tell you all the benefits about going to school." Right. Right. Yeah, and they it's this is not the uh first OJHL commit they've had in in, in the last few weeks because they also landed Caleb Tyson, defenseman, um who's playing for the Burlington Cougars of the OJHL. Uh, he won't be coming in this, this year. Um, he'll probably be coming in next year, but that was also a recent commit. So two players from the same league here committing in a relatively short uh, period of time. So it's, uh, like I said, just interesting to note the, uh, the shifting uh, sort of recruiting footprint. It's nice to know that St. Cloud is, is willing to go to places that I haven't even heard of before. You know, that's like I said, this OJHL is not a league that was really on my radar. So congrats to uh, James Gray on his commit, and also this Caleb Tyson that I just mentioned, and, and all the others that we've mentioned. And like I said, I am, I am excited to see what Gray, I'm intrigued by him, because that's a sexy stat line. It's a stat line that yeah. I, I, I don't know how much I should put stock into that. You know, you look at, I know that Kyler Kupka, you know, he, he tore up that AJHL, uh, the, the team that he was playing for a few years ago, and it's not like he's a you know, star player for those. He's serviceable, but... So he, he, sometimes you got to take the stats with a grain of salt, but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by those numbers. And um, just because that goaltending situation is such a question mark, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's three guys that all, all three, any, any of those three could emerge as, you know, by the end of the year next year as, as the uh, clear number one. We just don't know at this point who that guy will be. So certainly interested to see how that all shakes out. And it's just nice to kind of see the next year's team come into focus. You know, we don't, it's not a hundred percent on all of these, these commits and which ones are going to come next year, but we're pretty sure that Adam Ingram, as I mentioned, is going to be coming in as probably the most hyped recruit. Uh, I think Grant Ashan, Jack's brother, I believe he's, he's be coming in. Uh, he's been at the US, USHL level. I mentioned that Ethan, a coin uh, from Calgary, he's slated to come in. Uh, this Mason Reiners uh, is an Adina kid, defenseman. Uh, he's ready to come as far as I don't believe he has a, another year left of junior eligibility. So I think he's got to come in. Jack Rogers, an uh, MJHL prospect, uh, slated to be coming in. So, And uh, I know there's, there's some others that I'm forgetting, but uh, you, know, you lost a fair amount of uh, guys last year, and every year it seems like we're – introducing ourselves to a new crop of, of uh, commitments and excited to see how this shakes out. And even guys like, I mean, we barely, I think at the very first podcast last year, we mentioned this Ryan Reisbrow uh, and did not get any playing time last year. Interesting if those kind of guys get a, tra- get a shot this year and, and, and what they do with it. So nice to know that the, uh, that next year's, next year's team is slowly coming into focus, mm-hmm. but keep an eye on that. Um, one, one people that people or one person, um, that I don't know if he said was, uh, did you say Max Montez? I did not. Okay. From, uh, he plays at Dubuque, yep. uh, the USHL. Um, but it sounds like, you know, my sources tell me, I know a guy who knows a guy who says the plan is probably for him to stay another year at the USHL. So, but 32, 32 points, 32 yep. points in 60 games. So it's. 18 years, 18 years old here, according to, to Mick Hatton's sheet. So yeah, he's still got some, some time 
left in the juniors if he wants it. So yeah, I would not be surprised if he stays another year uh, in juniors. But but yeah, there's a there's some good prospects uh, on this list, and it's one thing to to read stat lines uh, on a website. It's another thing to see him in person. So yeah, and that's um, I think so far with this, I'm pretty happy with how things are shaping up with uh with the uh, Brett Larson and how he's recruiting and you know this is starting to get to be the time where he's you know the whole team is going to be pretty much his his go-to and his guys versus you know a couple you know that were kind of holdovers from Motsko and whatnot so it's gonna and you know you know, seeing seeing these uh, commits kind of line up, uh, it, it makes me intriguing, it, or it makes me excited um, for it. You know, Shyak, it's you know, like like you said with the uh, the Canadian aspect of it, that's that's intriguing to see. Um, obviously, it was very hard for him to recruit to Alaska Anchorage, um, so it's but uh, to see him work his connections and 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 whatnot, it's. I'm I'm pretty excited to how everything has uh, unfolded so far. Indeed, and of course, with that recruiting, you know, mentioning Larson and Shyak and you know another guy that's obviously involved in the recruiting process or or has been, I should say, was Nick Oliver. And I say was because there was some news regarding him. And congratulations to Nick as he was uh, hired as the new head coach of the uh, Fargo Force of the USHL. I believe he played for uh, himself when he was coming up, um, but uh, he'll be the head coach for the USHL uh, Fargo Force, which leaves a, an opening uh, on the bench for St. Cloud uh, as, as another assistant coach. Uh, nothing announced yet as far as a replacement for for Oliver. Um, you know, last year during the Olympics when when Larson was in uh, Beijing, they did promote this RJ Enga, former CC assistant who had been there. I think he's the, his title is like video coordinator. Um, but he's like their assistant coach. That's that is, you know, he's like, he's in the press box during the game. Um, they promoted him to behind the bench when, uh, when Larson was in China, the, my bet. And I, again, I have no, inside information is that they just uh, promote him uh, as a uh, assistant for this coming year. Be kind of an easy move to do that. You'd still then have to hire a, a video guy. Um, there, there is still going to be an opening. Um, I would not be surprised if they go outside the uh, current organization, so to speak, and find a, a replacement for Oliver from outside. Um, you still have, you know, five months, you know, less than five months until the season uh, starts. And, uh, they are looking, you know, the job has been posted. So someone will be in that capacity. We just don't know who that is. Um, and so another, you know, it's a good problem to have as far as you, you like to see that your your assistants that you're hiring uh, that end up getting jobs like Oliver did. I mean, uh, we're going to talk about Garrett Raboyne in a little bit uh, as he was named the Augustana head coach. But, I mean, Nick Oliver's, taking a, a path right now that I would not be shocked if he becomes an NCAA head coach someday. Uh, yeah. This is kind of a, a first big step in that, in that path of climbing that ladder, so to speak. So yeah, he was the it, assistant um, assistant at Sioux Falls um, beforehand uh, before getting the job here for um, the assistant at 
NCAA. So getting some head coaching now experience for Fargo for a few years. And yeah, like you said, it wouldn't be surprising if he gets a couple of looks here. Um, I would say within the next four or five years or so for an NCAA job. Who knows? He might be a future St. Cloud State head coach, you know, 10 years from now. Who knows? You know, Sandlin retires at Duluth. Larson goes back to his alma mater, and then Oliver goes to St. Cloud. This could be the 2035 <laughs> podcast um, that we're talking about. But I, I, will, uh, no, set a, I will set a reminder in my phone to, 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 to double check on that prediction in 2020 in 2035 and see if that comes true. As Brett Larson is trying to continue the streak of seven straight national titles for Duluth at that point, because that's when Sand- Sandlin's going to retire once once they hit the seventh straight natty. Uh, he's going to be like, "That's it, yeah, I'm out." And then Brett's got to go in there to to try to keep the uh, streak going. But uh, I will I have said, to say, um, I know people have been asking uh, me on Twitter all the time about uh, whether or not I applied for the assistant coach job <laughs> of St. Cloud state. I did apply and my resume got returned, which is kind of bizarre. Uh, it just said, Nope, we're good. And, uh, and I was and like, Hey, straight- I could, I could pick up cones. Like I could, I could do something for the, for the team. And they're like, ah, we're good. <laughs> We've heard your podcast. Yeah. That's the damnedest thing. I, they yeah. don't know what they're missing out. They don't right? know what they're missing out on. So. I'm rarely in- wrong. So, Yes, uh, but in, in the my all opinion, con- congratulations to to Nick Oliver. And uh, do you have any uh, y- your insiders? You know, you've mentioned uh, the little birdies uh, that are in contact with you. You got any inside info on the Saint Cloud State uh, vacant head coach or assistant coaching opportunity, other than Weldy? Uh, other passed, other, other than me, which I in my head I'm still the front runner. Um, I would say I don't have any inside information, but it's one of those things. Like if I recalled for when Oliver was hired as the assistant coach, it was one of those things that was like an open secret. He was at all the meetings and whatnot, but St. Cloud didn't announce it until, you know, a month before the season or something like that. So there might be something to it where we'll probably hear a lot of whispers, um, before we'll actually get confirmation from it. And sure. You know, maybe this is a good time to transition as well to who is going to announce who our new assistant coach is because now our athletic director, uh, big uh, congratulations to uh, Heather Weems, uh, who uh, is uh, holding up the mantle for, uh, or holding up the mantle, continuing the mantle. I don't know what the assuming, the assuming the mantle, assuming the mantle uh, of, of, of that that was left by Fenton. So at the uh, commissioner of the NCHC. So congratulations to her. Yes, and um, have you put in your resume for the AD position? Because I, this is another one that you were passed up for the NCHC commissioner as well. I mean, we're just striking out here left and right. I wouldn't say that I'm striking out. Is that I am learning about what these people want. So I am adjusting <laughs> my resume, fine-tuning everything. And uh, one of these jobs is going to hit. You know, I yeah. I'll, I'll still be able to to, to throw 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 uh, throw spaghetti at the wall, see if it sticks. Uh, but you know, you know, who knows? You know, obviously, you know, Heather has done a lot for St. Cloud State when it comes to to hockey. But you know, even more so, like we've had a lot of programs here at St. Cloud State has had a lot of success. Um, 
uh, as, as of late. We've had um, baseball has had a, you know some very good runs here. Obviously, our wrestling program at Division Two has been top notch for years. Um, and so it's um, she's uh, you know done a lot for that um, athletic department. They've had a lot of success under her, and um, I'm so it's uh, cool to see one of our own um, kind of get uh, promoted up and uh, uh, to that job. And it's not going to be an easy job, that's for sure. I mean, I, I applied for it, obviously, but uh, <laughs> it's not a job that I would necessarily <laughs> love to have. Uh, yes. I was okay uh, being patched up on the commissioner job. I was like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, I think we mentioned assistant coach uh, one still stings. Yes. Yeah, you, you're but you're better with cones than yeah. um, what uh, national TV contracts. Yes, that's oh. that's a little far field of your of your uh, skill set or but, handling uh, uh, referees and uh, yeah. and all, all all of that. So talking uh, talking to Dave Starman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, but also, you know, I did also throw my hat into the ring for the, uh, open, uh, public address announcer, uh, job. So, you go. I mean, that, that, uh, auditions are coming in through the, through the end of May. It's just a Google form, uh, just virtual auditions effort. Don't apply because you're going to lose to me, obviously. <laughs> So, uh, with my, are you practicing, tones. you practicing your woos, you know, it's like doing diaphragm exercises mm-hmm. and, you know, breathing and just, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's the key here. Yeah. That, that, that's the key. And the, it's, I don't know if I could top that actually. I, I think that should just be on loop. Just there clip, the, clip uh, that out and then submit that as my, as my, uh, you know, I could travel. You know, you can fly me in each, each weekend and I, I could do that. I could do that. Yeah, I mean, we had mentioned when Fenton uh, announced his departure uh, of the league, uh, you know, a few months ago, we we discussed kind of what the future of that position holds, not knowing that Weems would be the person to to replace him. But I think the big thing for the commissioner, I mean, a lot of the stuff Fenton kind of took care of for a while. I mean, we've we've got the XL locked into place for what the next four years, three four years at least. Yep the conference tournament um so that's kind of taken care of it's 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 a tournament that i think is starting to sort of settle in i mean they had a few first few years at target center and and now it's at the x uh, which i think yeah i think most fans prefer the x to the target center although i don't think the target center was that that bad of an uh, experiment but it seems like they've kind of settled in uh to their conference tournament there and as as other conferences you know replace a, a neutral site conference tournament the nchc is at least you know committing to that format whereas other leagues are giving it up and you know it's not the old final five uh but it's tough to ever have that again i think at a neutral site so and also people people need to remember too it, it wasn't a snap your fingers and it was nineteen thousand people at a final five game it took yeah. a long time yeah. for that to get going that's right. And so, so that's kind of taken care of for the, for the near future. You know, you still got the CBS sports network deal and you've got NCHC TV, which was infrastructure of the league that was put into place under Fenton's watch that Weems will be inheriting. The big thing that she's going to be, uh, shepherding the league over, I think is another round of potential, uh, realignment, adding teams to the league potentially. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think that we're sitting on some sort of domino effect with, you know, we've got a couple of new teams in the mix. What to do with Arizona State now that they have their, their new shiny facility ready to open in the fall. Uh, very possible. You know, we've heard the rumors about Mankato, Arizona State, Bemidji. What, you know, is Miami and Western happy? And, and so I think in the next you know, five years, there's going to be some serious decision-making as far as do you want to take the league to 10 teams? Uh, and, or is there going to be a replacement of a couple of teams for a couple of others? Uh, it's going to, that's, I think, going to be the big thing for Weems to, to uh, handle as commissioner. Uh, as you said, I think she did a good job. Uh, at St. Cloud, I mean, as far as from a men's hockey standpoint, I'd say her biggest, her biggest uh, hire at this point was the Brett Larson hire, and so far so good with that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I just thought about, uh, and I remember in our green room before the, uh, before we went to air here, I knew I was forgetting something, and now with Weems, thinking about Weems, the thing that I was forgetting is that St. Cloud's about to hire a women's coach. Yeah, they've announced three finalists uh, for the women's job. And I'm wondering if Weems is not going to make that decision now. It's possible that she doesn't start the NC, the commissioner position for a little bit, and she's actually going to be the one to make this hire. Seems like that's weird, because I know that they had these three candidates in for kind of interviews with the general public, because they, they had them available at the uh, Husky Den. Um, talking to stakeholders over the week, and I would assume that that position was going to be uh, the the next head coach was going to be announced in, within the next week or two. I'm just wondering now with Weems gone if that throws a wrench into the plans. Uh, but yeah, so I'm not sure if if I, like I said, I just thought about that kind of on the fly here. I know that the uh, three candidates, Brian Adolski, former North Dakota coach who I think would be a great hire for the position. We've also got, um, I'm going off the top of my head here, they have a uh, uh, UW-Eau Claire coach, Strand is his last name, uh, and then there's a uh, Wisconsin assistant coach, um, Molly, and I'm not sure what her last name is. But there's the three candidates. Again, I'm not uh, very well-versed on this, as you can tell, but kind of a last minute in this in this story of of replacing the the women's coach without weems there i'm not sure if that's going to delay that announcement or not um but there's a you know we can't forget about i mean obviously we can't forget about the women's team but also the ad position at st cloud you're you know managing all kinds of sports you mentioned wrestling and baseball uh two of the uh, teams that two of the programs teams that have been making headlines of late um but there's a whole lot more to the job than just uh, men's men's ice hockey. So, uh, and whoever they hire, I mean, you know, like you talked about women's hockey, but also men's basketball as well. Um, I, we just yep. uh, fired Ramers there, so it's yeah, there. She might not be making those decisions. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I from what I read from when she was announced as the NCHC commissioner, from what I gathered, that position starts immediately. So. I'm intrigued to see what happens with that women's hire. Um, but again, congratulations uh, to Heather Weems for that position. Um, and excited to see how she you know, handles the, the near future here of that conference. Uh, and wish her the best of luck. 
as far as the other coaching changes, we had mentioned Garrett Boyne announced as Augustana's first uh, head coach in, in their program history. Uh, they begin play next year uh, in, a, in a brand new facility that is in the process of being constructed. Uh, and so Raboyne is is going to have the opportunity to be not just a head coach, but sort of an architect of a program, building it from scratch, bringing in a, a you know a, a recruitment uh, recruiting class uh, from zero to twenty plus, uh, and he's got a year head start uh, in that effort. Um, and so this will make uh, Raboyne now is the uh, the third. Uh, St. Cloud State alum currently coaching in NCAA. I wonder, I mean, that's got to be near the top of programs uh, as far as their head coaching. You've got, got Bob Motzko, of course, at the University of Minnesota. Mike Hastings as well uh, for the trivia question there, also a St. Cloud State grad. He's obviously at Mankato. So Boyne is the third Husky um, alum currently with the NCAA coaching job. Uh, as you said, you know, He's taken sort of that he did not have head coaching USHL experience. I do not believe it's not exactly the same path that Oliver seems to be staking out here, but pretty much after he graduated from St. Cloud as a player, I think he played a year or so in, in Europe. Um, but then shortly thereafter uh, returned and was sort of the Nick Oliver of, of his era in St. Cloud as being, one of Motsko's recruits in St. Cloud and then followed Motsko to the Gophers. Um, and as, as it sounds, I mean, very important in their, in their recruiting uh, the last few years uh, for the Gophers. And you sort of have a, uh, you know, a theory that we've had some announcements of Gophers decommitting since the uh, announcement of Raboyne taking that job. And are they related? Eh, I wouldn't be shocked if they were. Seems like he's a really uh, likable guy, and uh, again, congratulations to 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 Garrett, uh, yeah, getting that that job and best of success for a, a program. It's a very intriguing one. It's a, be the first program in South Dakota, so it's a expansion of college hockey's footprint into a new state. Um, you know, Sioux Falls, uh, which is where Augustana is. You know, they've been hosting some regionals. Uh, in, in in the last few years, so they're growing as a presence of, of NCAA hockey, and, and having a program right there will only uh, improve um, sort of the interest of college hockey uh, in, in that area. So excited to see what he'll be able to do. I would not be surprised if Augustana, kind of like St. Thomas this last year, would not be surprised, give, you know, given the connections between Raboy and St. Cloud, that St. Cloud is going to be one of those first opponents that, that Augustana plays when they do start up uh, next year in 2023. Uh, anything to add on, uh, on Garrett Raboyne to uh, the Vikings of Augustana? Uh, no, I mean, you pretty much hit everything. It was, yeah, him, you know, having, you know, no head coaching experience and, and getting that job, you could tell that he has that confidence, or I would say that, people pleasing mentality. Um, he, he seems like he would be very much kind of a player's coach. Um, who, you know, somebody that, you know, you could approach and talk to about anything at any time. I think that kind of goes a long way in teaching some of the newer, uh, the newer blood, um, that's coming up that, that hard line approach. I don't think 
really works um, in this day and age. And I think that's maybe what happened with Bob. You know, my theory just kind of goes back to first and foremost, I think assistant coaches deserve more credit and to that extent also deserve a little bit more blame. Um, But at the same time, it's like, I feel that they don't get nearly enough love. It's all about, you know, the head coach, the head coach, the head coach, they hires the staff for the assistant, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's just a lot of, you know, different things that the assistant coach does that is very similar to everything else that a head coach does just in different facets. And, you know, just how I've heard, um, you know, just how I, I pictured when Matsko was here, you know, obviously he's always going to stick up for his players, but, you know, Matsko was very much in that Herb Brooks mold where it was, you know, this is how I want you to play. This is what I want you to do. If you don't, you're riding the bench. You know, I remember it was like, what, Nicholas Ryu? I think, like, he yeah. he played, like, early. Um, you know, he played pretty good minutes one year, and then he played, like, one game early the next year, and then, like, nothing else. Like, the rest of the season didn't even touch the ice. And I just, I just, I, I just picture him as, as being that hard approach and wearing some people thin. So you go to the people person that, that, that Raboyne was kind of that counter weight and, 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 you know, they kind of gets into that a little bit in miracle um, when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, Kirkpatrick and whatnot with her Brooks. But, uh, you know, obviously this is all theory and I'm not here to bash Motsko um, for something that I know absolutely nothing about. I clearly never played for him. But um, it's it, it, it's something where I think that there might be something into it because, yeah, there there was a lot of, you know, people either decommitting or transferring out of Minnesota after, um, you know, a, after that news and could could be a coincidence. And also um, what the the the. The smaller Lucius brother, I mean, he committed when he was like 12. I think he committed under Doug Woog for crying out loud. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, it's another one of those, you know, 13, 14 year old commits that were kind of all in the rage that clearly did, doesn't, doesn't pan out. But I don't know. It's just that's kind of always what I thought about when it comes to assistant coaches that I think they are. They're they're the man behind the curtain, so to speak, and um, they're kind of the glue that keeps everything together, and that's why they're always in the in the mold to become head coaches um, because because uh, of all the work that they do. So. That's right, and and when you're talking about glue you know, behind the scenes, you know we've uh, we've kind of made it uh, as a podcast because we we have a sponsor this week, and they're sort of going to become a, a bit of a glue to this podcast. Uh, going forward and it's a big sort of step uh as far as becoming a a real podcast so uh again this is i'm going to be reading ad copy here so bear with me here but this is a big step for us so let's just take a minute this is new to us so (laughs) yes yeah just bear bear with us but so today's podcast is brought to you by grandpaid Grampaid is the leader in sports drinks specifically targeted to people over the age of 60. Each can of Grampaid is custom engineered with a blend of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that gives seniors the ability to go the distance and feel their strongest. Whether it's playing a vigorous round of pickleball, taking the recumbent bicycle out for a spin, or just yelling at clouds, 
Grampade is the secret for strength and stamina. World Golf Hall of Fame inductee Bernhard Langer says, Grampade keeps me on the ball and ready to swing for all 18 holes. Listeners to the Huskies Hockey Podcast can get 20% off and a free keychain can opener when you go to grampade.net slash order and enter the promo code HUSKY. That's grampade.net slash order and enter the promo code H-U-S-K-Y. Grampade. To stay golden in your golden years, choose Grampade. G-R-A-M-P-A-I-D. Grampade. Alrighty. So now, moving on. So we had Raboyne with, with Augustana's new, new program. And we also had, just sort of from the national standpoint, a uh, couple of new uh, head coaches, uh, you know, I believe since we last spoke, a couple of these positions had not been vacant uh, by the, by the, from the last time that we had a podcast. Michigan State and BC, I believe, uh, it was announced that Danton Cole from Michigan State and Jerry York, the, the legend, uh, announced his retirement at BC. We knew about BU, uh, but uh, all three of those those uh, very high-profile positions have been filled uh, in the interim here. Michigan State, as I mentioned, uh, had Danton Cole, uh, a Michigan State alum, who had been previously, they hired him from the U.S. National Team Development Program. Uh, he was coaching the U18, U18, U18 team uh, previously. Uh, and, you know, five years of below 500 records led to his departure. Uh, so who do they bring in? They bring in a Michigan State alum who was currently coaching at the U.S. National Team Development Program, who was coaching the U18 team. So it can't go any worse than, <laughs> than what Dan Cole did. Uh, Adam Nightingale is the, uh, head, uh, the new head coach for the Spartans there. Again, it's what's, been quite the, a long time. What's the definition of insanity? Uh, it's the, <laughs> that pop, pop psychology, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's been a decade plus since Michigan State, a former you know, power uh, you know, multiple national titles uh, to their name. It's been uh, 10 years, I believe, since they've even made the NCAA tournament. And, and for the, basically the history of the Big Ten Hockey Conference has been last place or second to last, I think, every year. So, and just the timing of, of firing Cole there was, was odd. They, they fired an assistant coach a few weeks before, and it seemed like that was kind of going to be the all right, we'll, we'll, we'll make the assistant coach firing and give you one more year here. But then they ended up firing Cole anyway, uh, like I said, replacing him with, with basically the quasi-Cole. Uh, we'll see how that goes for them. Boston College uh, hires Greg Brown, who had been a longtime assistant under Jerry York. Some speculation there. I mean, there was Mike Cavanaugh was the current UConn coach. Um, seemed like that was more of, uh, York's handpicked guy. Uh, but he, uh, Kavanaugh ended up parlaying the interest that BC showed there into an extension, uh, and some more money from UConn. Same thing with, uh, Nate Lehman from, uh, Providence, um, who they obviously, they tried to, to hire as well, but Brown was kind of the, the other, you know, Kavanaugh was his right hand man for a while. So was Brown. 
Um, so it, it really was kind of down to those two. Brown was, he, he left BC to join David Quinn's staff at the Rangers for a couple of years until that coaching staff was let go. And he spent last year at the USHL in Dubuque, I believe. Um, but he's back uh, in BC, BC alum, as I mentioned. So not terribly surprising there. Uh, and, and BU as well goes the alum route, hiring Jay Pandolfo, former NHLer, um, ending any speculation that David Quinn was going to be rehired there. Sounds like Quinn wants to get an NHL job again, which might be in the offing for him. The big thing, I think, of these three, I, I don't know if you have any commentary on any, any of these hires, but also I think kind of the, the more surprising news is that Michigan, there hasn't been any news out of Michigan. Yeah. Uh, with with Mel Pearson kind of under a cloud of suspicion with various uh, issues uh, in Michigan's uh, athletic department and the fact that his uh, contract had expired at the end of April. Um, and at this point, we haven't heard anything as far as they haven't fired him, but they have not extended him or he's currently not under contract as far as we know. So that's kind of a question mark as well. We still don't know. We're going to hear something because he's either got to be re-signed to a contract or he's got to be let go. Uh, and it's kind of getting late in the game. Like usually, I mean, usually you get your coaches in place for those Florida meetings at the end of April. But the, even the fact of these three, you know, BCBU and Michigan State hiring their coaches in the last week was a little bit late to begin with. There, I guess you're not bound to to the, the early offseason hire. I mean, Western Michigan last year made the coaching change in August, going from uh, Andy Murray to uh, Fershweiler. So. Plenty of time, I guess, until the uh, next season starts, but still a, a situation with Michigan that you want to keep an eye out for because just a, I mean, there was no closure to whatever that story was. And I'm sure we're going to get a, an answer one way or the other, whether or not he stays uh, or he's replaced. But uh, the fact that he still hasn't been fired, I think would bode well for him uh, because if they were going to move on from him, you'd think that it already been announced but again they've had it seems like they have a whole legal uh powder keg there uh and that might take a while to to settle all out so certainly keep a pin in that situation any uh any comment on those uh on those national uh coaching hires that i mentioned uh no i mean the three uh, that they went with i mean they were all alums um, and they were all, yep. you know, they all didn't have any type of previous head coaching experience, obviously, um, you know, and did have a lot for the assistants and whatnot, but find that, um, a little bit interesting, kind of wonder if St. Cloud is also going to go that route with their assistant, if they're just going to go ahead and pick an alum and kind of go for it, uh, that way. Uh, when you were talking a little bit about the women's team, um, you know, Molly Enstrom, who's... Thank you. Uh, one Thank you. one of the the candidates. I mean, she was uh, the uh, you know the assistant one of the assistants here um, for the for the season as well. So um, you know, so she's she's currently a St. Cloud assistant. Correct. Yep. Oh, really? I thought yep. I thought she was uh, she had was behind Wisconsin bench, but uh, thank you for clarifying. Maybe she played there. Uh, I thought there was a Wisconsin connection with her, but. I, I might be mistaken. 
but thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, she did play for the Badgers. Yep. Okay. So, um, yeah, she was a uh, Patty Casimir uh, finalist. And I believe the, uh, yeah, the UW Eau Claire guy, um, I don't believe he's a St. Cloud alum either. Uh, it's interesting that they, St. Cloud has never, for the women's side, they've never hired, I don't believe they've ever hired a, an alum of the program. Uh, and obviously with these three candidates, you wouldn't either, although you have Angstrom with current coaching experience uh, with St. Cloud. Adolski, um, he would be a first because he's a former head coach at the D1 level. Strand is obviously a D, D3 coach currently, but their coaches in the past, uh, they haven't hired a retread, so to speak, someone that has already D1 experience. Um, and yeah, and with the uh, you know men's assistant job as well, I think that's a good point that it's nice to have a, a it's nice to have a alum in there, and it's also nice to have a diversity of age in there. You know, you've got Shyak with loads of experience, you know, head coaching experience of his own, and then what two decades of assistant uh, ex- uh, coaching experience. Which you you had a guy like Raboyne previously, and then Oliver, which are guys that are two, three, four years away from their playing days. I think those that's yeah. a nice asset to have is because you can those guys can relate to the players a little bit better because they're much closer in age. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Dave Shayak's not on TikTok too much. But, he's not you know, doing the trends. Oh, he's no, not. No, yeah, no, he's no, not no. trending on. Uh, yeah, he's he's not doing the dances on, on TikTok as much as Oliver clearly is. Um, so <laughs> I really you know, want I really want to see Nick Oliver dancing to Lizzo. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> is what I want right yeah. now. Yeah, truth hurts sometimes. Um, <laughs> you didn't think that I could pull off a, a Lizzo reference, but it would be wrong. Mm. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they do find someone that's not only a, a, a bit younger, but uh, but someone that that is an alum. Because sometimes you hear that as far as you know, this guy's an alum, and that's why he's got a good chance to be a, a, a you know get the head coaching job or, or whatnot. And some people are kind of, uh, why does that matter so much? But with these, you know, Michigan State, Boston College, BU. They, they, those were all alums that they hired, and that always that seems to be very important factor uh in 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 getting these these kind of head coaching jobs and it just was it was very surprising that three of the i mean three jobs like that as far as three nationally yeah. you know pow, at least traditionally powerhouse I and mean, obviously we mentioned michigan state yeah, putting asterisks on doormat for i a mean while. even even their title was what oh seven oh six when was that that was a oh seven that was a garbage they, title I mean, what that was a garbage title? That was that was garbage. that was a garbage title, and their '66. I mentioned this on a previous podcast. They're they were under 500 into the Frozen Four, I believe. They're yeah, it's something. Sometime in the mid '60s, they won one that was, I think, the the worst team to ever win a national title. Um, and it's something to do with how the WCHA qualified teams for the playoffs. Very shady. It would never fly nowadays. Um, I think they won one. I think they've won three. Maybe, maybe it's just those two. I thought they won one in like the mid '80s when they were very good. I, I no, I know they did because uh, Guazdecki was an assistant for them 
he's like oh, an answer to a trivia question because he's won one as a player, an assistant coach, and a head coach. So I think they won one in the mid '80s, and they were very good. I don't think that one was a fluke, uh, but the uh, two of them kind of were. Uh, but yeah, since that with that '07 title was Rick Comley was the head coach, and he retired a few years after that. Their last couple head coaches, they had Anastas and then this Dan Cole. Since those, after Comley left, they have been on a steep decline. Maybe this Nightingale is, is the guy to bring them back to, to glory, um, but doesn't look so hot uh, in East Lansing uh, these days. And, and yeah, I mean, even BC, I mean, BC has, has kind of, some of their shine has worn off in the last five, five yeah. or so years. Um, you know, St. Cloud beat him in the tournament last year, um, but that was their only that was their only uh, NCAA appearance, I believe, since what 2016, 2017. It's it's been a while. I mean, there were a couple of years there. They were bottom half of the hockey East, which is uh, a program like BC. You don't expect that. Um, yeah. So we'll see if they can kind of rebound as well. Yeah, it was uh, 80, 86. Um, okay. And yeah, Michigan State that year finished the regular season uh, thirty-nine and two. They were the second who'd seed been, in the West. Who would have been like their stud then? Did they, who's like their leading scorer? If you can bring that up, I think it's someone that I've heard of. Riveting, riveting, podcast. R- riveting podcast right here. Uh, Mike Donnelly, Jeff. That's not who I was. Jeff Parker. Hmm. Don McSween. That that was on the all tournament team. They beat they beat they beat Harvard six to five in the championship. Okay. Uh, that was not who I was thinking. I thought they had like a Hobie guy or something that was NHL or something, um, but obviously not. I wonder if that was Bob Asenza. He was the goaltender. I think they played North Dakota in the title game the year after. Pretty sure Asenza was their goalie, but and he's an old Winnipeg Jet. Uh, for, for all you classic Winnipeg Jets fans. But, yeah, so Michigan State, see if they can finish over 500. That's, I think, the, the next goal for them. Um, and same with uh, BC and BU. And like I said, keep an eye on that Michigan situation because we don't know how that's going to end God, until something is announced. Sometimes I forget what what college hockey was like in the 80s. <laughs> it's good to I it's mean, good some... Yeah, Mike Mike Donnelly finished with 44 games, 59 goals, and 38 assists. It's not a bad season. Kevin Miller. My favorite. uh, Mitch Messier. Yeah. Joe Murphy. Okay. Okay, there's one that I've heard of. And the Millers, I think there is a family of Millers that played at Michigan State, you know, over the 80s and 90s. Not related to Ryan Miller, but there was a, a, a group of Millers, I think, from forward, forward. That all played at Michigan State, so okay. Now yeah, we've got some, Kevin. Some names yeah, Kevin Miller. Kevin Miller played um, NHL from 1990 to 97, or no, to 99. There you go. So he had a fairly long career. Yeah, if you can find, I mean, there's there's a fair amount of um, you know NCAA on on YouTube, like from that era. It is always kind of fun. I mean, the team like that '87 North Dakota team. Was just, I mean, to check out their numbers. That Tony Herkich. Oh, the Herkis. The, Her- the Herkis Circus. Yeah. He had like 100, 150 points. Like he was like something like three, he averaged like three points a game. Just insane. 
Uh, and and they, yeah, that team, if you look at like their the scores, a like game by game, it's it's nine to three, ten to two, seven to six. It's just I mean, yeah. we think that NHL has you know they've been you know the scoring has been up this year and across the last few years, but check out <laughs> scores from like the eighties. It's it looks like you know. I don't know football scores in comparison. Uh, much different, uh, much different era. Yeah, Her- sure. Herkis, uh, 40, 48 games played in that 86, 87, 48 games, forty six goals, seventy assists for one hundred sixteen points. Okay, so not three points. So, but over two points a game. Over two points a game, which is which is nuts. But so anyway, yeah. enough talking about Michigan State growth. Yeah, or yeah, or North Dakota. Or North <laughs> Why don't we um, talk yes. more? More, but, but yes, you were right. Also, with sixty-six. Yes. How about we get back to some Saint Cloud State? Huck? Hey, uh, that's uh, we've we've got a bit of a idea of the schedule uh, that the Huskies will be playing next year. The conference schedule was released in April. Uh, I would say the uh, bullet points there. It looks to be a tough schedule because um, the two teams that you only play a one series against. You've only got Western Michigan at home, so you do not go to Western Michigan, which is fine by me as far as St. Cloud State has not had much success at Lawson Arena over the last few years. Uh, And then you're only going to Omaha. Omaha will not be uh, coming to St. Cloud next year. So that means two series against North Dakota, which looks to be bringing in a great recruiting class and I would assume is going to be at the top of the standings one or two next year. And you're also going to be playing Denver in two series, obviously playing uh, Duluth twice, two series. That's your designated conference rival. Um, so as far as the top end teams, uh, you're getting those for, for both a home and away series next year. And so no, no benefit of only getting Denver for one series as they did this year, uh, for instance. Uh, you know, you know, so you only the one series against Western and only one series against Omaha, and I'm mentioning that you got the tougher series against Dakota and Denver. That also means you do get two series against Miami and two series against CC. So I guess you'll take that as far as it evens, balances out a little bit. But um, you can check out that, uh, that conference schedule on the NCHC uh, website. Uh, it's up there right now. As far as the non-conference, we were under the impression that it's going to be largely, I, I think, almost it's going to be entirely the same opponents that they played in non-conference last year, according to McHatton. We just don't know the exact dates. A couple of them have been trickling in because Mankato and Bemidji have both announced their full schedules. They will be playing Mankato the uh, weekend of October 21st and 22nd. That's a two-game series at home at St. Cloud. And then a home-and-home with Bemidji the following week, so the 28th and 29th of October. I can't remember which one is at Bemidji and which one's at home. But uh, so those will be the last two weekends in in October. Are we going to get a day um, off of uh, rest in between so we can travel and not uh, not according to this because it says the twenty eighth and 29th. It'll be a little less uh, hairy of a drive, I would imagine. In October like versus October, yeah. rather true. than the uh, first weekend of January, which wasn't it something like twenty below in Bemidji? Mm-hmm. I remember being very very cold up there uh, when when there were. Uh, broadcasting the game so we still have we're we're fairly certain that they're playing the gophers in a home and home fairly certain that they're playing wisconsin at wisconsin 
And if it is going to be St. Thomas again, I would assume that's going to be another home and home. I would assume two of those are going to be in October, and then one is going to be in that first weekend of January like they did last year. I don't know. I'm just guessing. You do have three weekends in October. You could put them all in October if you wanted. Um, but then I guess because Bemidji was the team to play that January series, someone is going to be like, do they play the Wisconsin series in January? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you play the Gophers then. Who knows? We shall see when those dates are announced. They have not been announced from St. Cloud's uh, side or any of those other teams. And I, I'm, I'm only taking McHatton at his word that those are going to be the opponents. Um, so we know those. And if those are, if it is going to be the similar, the, the same non-conference opponents that it was last year, it's kind of flipped around the home and homes, and, uh, home dates, and home series, and away series. It should be another tough schedule. I mean, it yeah. was, I think two, two or three in, in difficulty as far as from the, uh, RPI standpoint. Um, which, yeah, as we saw this year, uh, uh, a record that's four or five games above 500, that can get you into the tournament by playing such a tough schedule. Now, you got to win some of, these, some of these tough games. Yeah, that's, and that's always the X factor. Um, you look at, you know, I was um, looking at some um, tweets from Omaha, uh, some of their fans about, you know, their schedule and how you know, a lot of their non-conference schedule and whatnot are, you know, in a sense games that are a little bit more of a, you know, uh, pushovers when it comes to the quality. They they don't have nearly the panache as, you know, like a, like a Mankato or a Minnesota has in, in recent, in recent years. And um, a little bit of upset by that because, you know, it's hard to, um, you know, with the, you know, the pairwise in, in, with the nine conference. But, you know, my whole point coming back to that was the problem isn't necessarily that you're playing, you know, those types of teams because you can still have a really good pairwise by playing those types of teams when you have the conference schedule that you do have. Uh, it's the problem that you're losing. So it, <laughs> to those types of teams, because those losses hurt you way more than the wins help you. Um, so it's, it, that's always the toughest because, you know, Omaha is, you know, really frustrating. I would imagine at least for fans is that I, you know, I see them play, you know, in conference games and they look like they hold their own, but you know, when I see them play non-conference, sometimes they just look lost and listless out there. So it's, so I don't know if it's a preparation thing or what, but, you know, that's kind of the big thing to remember when it comes to that pairwise is, you know, when you have, you know, built in the strength of schedule like we do, um, you know, at, at this point, it's, it, it's more, more about not losing against some of those other teams. So it's, you know, having the, the, the big games, you know, against the big teams, that's, that's definitely going to help um, because those losses aren't going to hurt nearly as much. Um, and you, you saw that with, um, uh, with Duluth, for instance, uh, you know, where, um, you know, they were able to squeak in um, probably closer than they would like, um, but they just had to be above 500, you know, just, just making sure that, that that's the case. Yeah. They go from, you know, having the possibility of being Wisconsin out to the getting the fifth overall seed 
you know, yeah. in, in the tournament, you know, in, in a matter of two weeks, basically. Um, so they were able to make that big change. And where, you know, with Omaha, they did as well as they could with that sort of charming non-conference last year. I think they only lost one game to uh, St. Lawrence, I'm going to say. Uh, but, I mean, they weren't playing great competition. What really kind of screwed them last year was the three losses to Miami. Um, and That's and true. so yep. it wasn't necessarily the non-conference, although that, but see, the non-conference didn't do them any favors. It didn't I mean, do them any favors, yeah. Potentially could have offset some of those Miami losses if they would have played, you know, had a quality non-conference win. And part of it too is, I mean, St. Cloud is in a decent advantage as far as there was a natural tendency for the Minnesota teams to want to play non-conference. Uh, you know, the you know, Mankato and the Gophers, these are kind of established rivals that you want to keep playing in non-conference now that they don't play in the same conference. And it, it's a benefit because those teams are really, really good now. So, I mean, Mankato and, uh, and the Gophers were both, you know, top five, six in the pairwise this year. So playing those teams and, and getting a win in each case does wonders for your uh, pairwise. Whereas Omaha doesn't really have like a natural rival next door that just isn't like we're going to play yeah. you every year in non-conference. Yeah, it's, really a gotta, it's a lot tougher. It's a lot tougher than They're them kind of in an island there. For, for a while there, they sort of had a thing with uh, Mankato as far as they would play them every year in non-conferences going back to like the WCHA days but they would play them or when they were in the CCHA. But maybe it was because they were both Mavericks. I don't know exactly what it was, but they would play like Tuesday games during the regular season for a number of years, like late, late aughts. But, uh, so, but other than that, they, was, they haven't really had an opportunity to play a great non-conference foe. So uh, it's interesting how that all shakes out. I mean, if, if you're in their position, yeah, you can run the table as much as you can in the non-conference, but then you, you just got to, you got to hold serve against the lower, the CCs and Miamis, and then maybe pick off a couple of wins against North Dakota and Denver when they did that last year. Yeah. Know, even though that we, they've always struggled with Denver, but they, they ended up beating Denver, uh, once last year and they almost beat them twice. And then they beat, uh, they beat North Dakota, uh, as well. And I think a couple of overtime, uh, games against them too. So they were and swept St. Cloud, uh, down yeah. in Omaha. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, I, and I make it sound also like it's just as easy as, you know, calling up, calling up Quinnipiac and being like, Hey, we'll play you guys. You know, obviously there's a lot right. more to it than, uh, than, than that, than just schedule better teams, you know? Right. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, trust us when, you know, we couldn't pay Wisconsin to get into St. Cloud and play at St. Cloud for many, many years. I'm still shocked that, uh, Granado, uh, said yeah we'll come to st cloud yeah um and so uh maybe that was just maybe, a special and, covid thing well and that was the weekend that bemidji is going to be on the schedule for that weekend um you a lot of times it's the same weekend as when you're making these scheduling um arrangements with teams so something about the fact that bemidji is now playing in in october makes me curious as to maybe wisconsin's like you know what we don't need to play you again um we we got our ass kicked last year by you guys, so we don't we don't want that to happen again. I, something about that Bemidji being in that same weekend that Wisconsin was last year makes me a little curious as to whether Wisconsin's going to live up to its, its end of the bargain. But um, yeah, we shall see, I suppose. Um, couple couple of um, other 
items. Uh, wanted to mention if you had any uh, take on Dryden McKay, the news coming out uh, that as oh, a part that's of right. the, yeah. as a part of the, uh, he was apparently under consideration to, to play on the Olympics. And as a part of that process, he was required to take some uh, drug tests um, for steroids and, and all that kind of stuff. This was at the kind of tail end of January, and uh, turned out at that point he had tested positive very trace amounts of a supplement um, that contained, according to his story, that did that contained a, a, supplement or a, a substance, a banned substance. He was not aware that this substance was in the supplement. Um, as it turned out, the he was he he had to miss a weekend for for Mankato. He was, he was not allowed to play in a series at like Northern Michigan or something. Maybe it was Lake State or something like that. But then, as it turned out, the doping agency, I don't know if that disqualified him from the Olympics or if the Olympics passed on him for other reasons, but the agreement they had was they were going to shelve this story until after the season, and they ended up suspending him for six months, uh, so he cannot perform, cannot play for anybody, for six months. Now, my, and he was since signed by Toronto um, in in the NHL, and he's going to be able to play with their AHL team. I mean, the the suspension will be, the suspension took effect, I believe, the week after the Frozen Four. So that means it's going to, the suspension will expire in mid-October, which is right around the time that the season will start, AHL season at least. Um, So. His career is likely not going to be totally affected by this. I'm just surprised. I mean, from my perspective, I'm I'm fairly even with steroids and stuff. I'm not a huge like kick him out of the game. Uh, and then you have the whole kind of the, the supplement. It's a kind of a wild west situation with supplements, how they're manufactured, and you don't know exactly how these products are labeled. I take him at his word for the fact that he was unaware that he was taking. I don't believe he was trying to, to take something to give it an advantage. It's it's pretty tough to do that as a goalie anyway. I'm struggling to figure out how a steroid, a performance-enhancing drug, would really affect a goaltender. I can see that more from like a skater, you know, getting a couple some more speed or keeping up with endurance, but as a goaltender, I'm struggling to find out how that would really give you much advantage. And I'm just more surprised at the fact that this story was just so buried because if the story would have come out, he would not have won the Hobie Baker. I don't. And so because the story was, was buried until the Hobie was awarded, um, I think that that enabled him to get to, to receive the Hobie. And so I'm just more interested about, or that, that's the more interesting part of the story, just that they were able to keep the story under wraps because, like I said, he was gone for that weekend. And, you know, we're not close on 
we're not monitoring Mankato's schedule from week to week, but if we were the Mavericks hockey podcast, I'm sure that would have raised eyebrows at that time. Like, why didn't he play that weekend? Um, because he plays every game. It's not like he's, it's not like a, even a caster situation where yeah. the backup goalie is getting five games a year. Like, he's playing every minute of every game. And so I'm surprised that that didn't raise eyebrows beyond Mankato or the CCHA at that point. Uh, and then I'm just surprised that um, how the process played out. And again, I would, I, I'm glad, I, like I said, I, I would have voted for him as, a, as the Hobie. Um, this year, Hobie, the, the committee came out afterwards and said, we're not stripping him of the award which I think is the right move. Um, but it's just one of those things that it is going to be on his Wikipedia page from now on. Uh, and there's going to be a small faction, let's hope, very small uh, of people that when they bring up his name, this is going to be attached to him. I, I don't, I, like I said, I, I, I feel bad for, for that, for his situation. Cause I, I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it really made much of a difference as far as that was the reason that he played so well. Um, and I don't think he was, he was intending on cheating. Do you have any, uh, any thoughts on that situation? Cause it is kind of an un, unprecedented uh, story in college hockey, the Hobie Baker winner uh, suspended for six months for a doping violation. Yeah. It's yeah. I think it's just, really unfortunate because in reading the story, you know, he, he got the, he, he was taking the sub, or he was taking a supplement, which already isn't regulated by any reputable, like food and drink. You can supplements are, you can use that name incredibly loosely and you don't really know what's in them. Um, but, um, you know, McKay was taking one to boost his immune system because he was worried about COVID. Um, and apparently it, it included a trace amount of something that's on the USADA, uh, United States, uh, oh, what is it? I hear it all Anti-doping. The, uh, United States Anti-Doping Agency. Yes. Um, agency. I hear that all the time cause my wife's a big, um, <laughs> uh, a big figure skating she- fan. So the USADA <laughs> runs that show. And there was even a U.S. pairs figure skater who got, caught or got you know through the six month ban hammer at her uh because it was trace amount in her makeup it was some kind of substance that was in the makeup um so it's just you know it, it was that you know just kind of you know this immune booster they were able to get a sealed um sample sent also to asada just to you know which is why the NCAA ended up clearing them because it, it wasn't like it was masking anything is like, this is what I took. It's in here. It's such a minute amount and it really didn't have any effect on any of his skill or anything along those lines. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, so as far as the United States anti-doping agency, yeah, that six month ban is in fact, that's not going to really do anything. Um, I don't think, um, and I think it's just how everything is lined up. It's like, whatever. Um, but I bet if he would appeal it, it would probably get overturned. Um, ju- just by some of the, um, 
other aspects that kind of go into it. But I think he just wants to turn this page and be like, whatever. Right. I just want to get done. With yeah, this. no, it makes you wonder. Like if they they could have, you know, put the hammer down back then in January or February, and then he would have missed the rest of Mankato's season. Uh, and like I said, definitely would not have won the Hobie then if he was suspended. Yeah, for the last three months. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's where I think having that sealed sample sent over and tested probably saved him. <laughs> Whereas otherwise, it's um, it, it's a little bit harder to prove that you got it from that sample or you got it from that particular. You could have got it from anywhere, you know, just just to kind of prove it that way. So you think if you're able to prove it though, then why is he even getting a six month suspension? I mean, they must buy that rationale to the extent that. They let him participate for the last three months of the season um, because they, it sounds like they were aware of this back in January or February. And I know that there was a, there was an appeals process. So I'm sure that the drug in question was being, you know, tested and, but they would have known about this before it was announced well before it was announced. So it's just, it's, it's yeah. And I take a vitamin D supplement too. Who knows exactly what goes all into that. So uh, you don't uh, you don't get enough sun I might, there I might, in Arizona. I yeah, well, not so much anymore. But I guess it's just habit that I take it now. Maybe, but um, but yeah, maybe I got maybe I would test positive for a for a doping. You might violation yeah. based on the Safeway supermarket uh, vitamins. That I, I just I just played I just played pickleball with my wife uh, today. If I am guilty of any type of doping from like my blood pressure medication. Uh, I would, I, I would be a, very furious that, uh, my doping isn't working, uh, because I am That's completely right. out of shape and yeah, my pickleball is a or workout. Or you could pickleball is a workout and yeah, if that's not working, then, you know, as we mentioned before, there that, is that grandpaid, that grandpaid, so. that's, that's yeah. what I should actually just start chugging. Who's it? What's in that? Yeah. Is that going to have some, um, I've just read Austin. the copy. They were very, very general with their terms. I don't, re- I don't write the no, copy. I'm, I'm excited it. for my samples. I will say that. So that's right. And, and your free, uh, keychain, uh, can opener, uh, keychain um, can opener. And, uh, you said, what was that? 20% off cramping 20% off. I don't want to read the whole thing again, but uh, you can go back and, and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just reminding our listeners here of the great deal on Grampaid. So it's it is a great deal. I mean, yeah, like I said, we're we're getting our samples pretty soon here, so we'll be able to have a. I mean, it's it's tough though because we're not really in the target demo, so to speak. Um, but I'm sure that those except I'm a pickleball enthusiast, so that's right. And I like to yell at clouds, <laughs> so um, there is that. I think but, this this um, podcast was based on us yelling at clouds. Yes, capital C cloud cloud in this case, yeah. uh, but. Uh, but yeah, well, you had actually some. Uh, you were you had some rule change chatter. Uh, the uh, coaches were getting, you know, as I mentioned, getting together in Florida for their annual uh, meetings. And every few years, NCAA will have a, a set of rule changes. Nothing has been um, made official yet, but kind of nice to just have an idea of what they're talking about and and you kind of went through a whole laundry list uh before the podcast you're going to just uh uh, highlight some of the more major uh potential rule changes and yeah it's it's always nice because we've complained a a fair amount about certain rules 
especially regarding overtime. And it sounds like they're talking about some of these. So why don't you uh, recap some of these potential? And like I said, nothing is official yet, but these are what is on the docket for potential rules. Yeah. So why don't you r- run them down for us? All right. Uh, Todd Maluski from um, the uh, Wisconsin Badgers beat writer um, had a list of them in uh, late, late April. Um, uh, overtime was one of them. Basically, I think they were just looking at the bean pot or just special tournaments um, that original that they removed the 20 minute five on five in special cases uh, this last season or this last uh, couple seasons. And they, they might want to revisit it because the bean pot is sacred or whatever. I don't know. Um, but I think it just adds some more confusion when it comes to overtime. And I cannot keep hearing Jim Rich miss guide us on what overtime is. So I just want uniformity some way or another. That should be a rule change in itself. Just make sure to just to give a, a list of these rule changes to Jim rich um, directly. Um, I think that would be, that would be a plus. Yep, exactly. Uh, coaches challenges uh, basically put more than a timeout on the line. Um, and they probably want to go to the NHL system, uh, possibly a delay a game uh, penalty. If you uh, are wrong on a challenge. Uh, defining the end of the game. Um, when is the game over? Uh, which uh, obviously with Minnesota State's, um, you know, first game winning goal in the CCHA, um, you know, when when is that game over with, uh, you know, all of that, you know, calling people back onto the ice, you know, the <laughs> that whole kerfuffle there. That was, um, that was really interesting. And I bet a little of that stems also from the, first round of the tournament when it was Notre Dame against North Dakota about, you know, what ends the game there? Uh, because, um, you know, yeah. the, the horn and the light and the game clock were all different times. So, you know, uh, a and little... it's always, it's always, it's always interesting. The, uh, rule changes that will be made or at least discussed based on like one game or one scenario. You know, and like the Wisconsin rule that we've, mm-hmm. we've uh, discussed about being under 500 that, that would disqualify you from being an at-large team in the NCAAs. There is, I know that there was a, I think the whole like uh, reviewing offsides came into play because of like a UMass BC game from about five years ago or so. And so this one would be sort of the Mankato rule. <laughs> Whereas like when, at least in this case, like the Notre Dame, uh, North Dakota game was a little different in that nobody had actually like the official hadn't left the building and <laughs> left the building yet. In that yeah. case. This one would be the more fans like, haven't left the building and that, you know, 20 minutes passed and the refs have showered up. Maybe at that point the game is over. Once the shower nozzle is turned, <laughs> is turned then the, on uh, or off, the game is officially <laughs> over. You gotta, you gotta put it in black and white. You yep. just have to be very clear in your rule. But yeah, this could be one of those situations that if that never happened, we would not be talking about that right now. Um, there's a YouTube channel that I follow. And of course I'm blanking on it right now, but they have a section, um, sports nation. And I think they got a section they called weird rules and they talk about weird rules that happened or why are some weird rules that seem weird in the rule book like what led up to that? And I feel like this would be one instance yes. where, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have a little video af- uh, about it. And I 
I'll be like, oh, I remember when I I was at a game watching on the Twitter. <laughs> Lesser penalties uh, for hitting from behind in head contact. Uh, basically, there have been suggestions that referees should have the option to call minor penalties when a player who has hit puts themselves into a vulnerable position. Uh, that's one thing that I always feel like I have to correct people on Twitter um, is that there isn't a, oh, but he turned his back out when it comes to somebody, you know, the onus is on the person giving the hit. And even if the player receiving the hit turns his back and it's magically from behind, that's a major penalty in college hockey, no matter what Uh, this, this would kind of look at it a little bit differently and say, it's not necessarily the guy who's hitting his fault and not the intent of the rule and give him a little bit lesser of a sentence for that. Yeah. Or at least like not having an automatic DQ uh, or five minute, even a five minute major. I like, I'm wondering if mm-hmm. this rule was spurred by the Duluth versus Michigan tech game in the uh, NCAAs where tech's best player was, was ejected from the game for a, checking from behind about three minutes into the game. Oh, that's right. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was a pretty ticky tack call. So I'm wondering if that's kind of, that's the impetus. That's the Michigan tech rule. There you go. (laughs) So, uh, and then face-offs, uh, just going through with face-offs. Um, you know, now we've got the warning and a penalty. If it's still a face-off violation, um, but now they're going to review how that process is compared to the old process of kicking out the old player and seeing what uh, basically is like, which, which one do we like better? Which one should we choose? So, yeah. And so these rule changes, like I said, they'll be made permanent. If, I mean, these aren't the only things that they're talking about. And yeah, just there, there's a whole, here, yeah, there's a whole list of, 10 other ones Once, that we can kind of go through, but in the interest of time, all I would say is the one that I yeah. really want is onside. If the skate is above the blue line, we're okay with it, but <laughs> I hope they make that well, change. If there's some compelling ones, when they do become official, we'd be sure to bring those up because and debate it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, was it last year? And then even coming into this year, I was unsure of what the overtime format was i still am exactly how jim rich is unsure effects yeah he's definitely out to lunch for that but um and so i'm i'm excited to see if they do change that i really do hope they do um or at least from the pairwise uh implications of overtime so it'd be nice to know what exactly how how they handle that so once that is become official we'll be sure to again highlight the act the, the rule changes that were made we do have, you know, we mentioned the new programs in Stonehill and Lindenwood becoming official. We also have Illinois uh, announcing that they are definitely not going to be going forward with D1 hockey. That seemed to be something that was right on the doorstep um, right before COVID hit. Uh, they're kind of chalking up the failure of them announcing a D1 move to COVID. Um, lack of funding. It's just it's frustrating um, when you, you know, we were all, a big reason is when, you know, when Big Ten announced that they were splitting off and creating their own hockey conference, a lot of the rationale was that this will uh, encourage other Big Ten programs that currently don't have hockey, uh, that they'll be able to, because they have a, a 
a, a built-in conference that they can join. They don't have to go through the many years process that you know teams like Arizona State are going through is trying to find a conference. Well, because we have the infrastructure already in place, we can have Iowa and Illinois and Maryland. Uh, all you know, they'll in no time they'll join the Big Ten Hockey Conference, and we're into the tenth year now of the Big Ten Hockey Conference, and the only team that they've added is Notre Dame, which isn't a member of the Big Ten for anything else. So I think that's kind of, you got to chalk that up at, you know, partly a failure of the conference uh, of being unable to attract some of their other, you know, regular members to, uh, to join into the hockey um, pool. So that's uh, frustrating there. And, and like I said, we have those other, you know, Lindwood, Stonehill, um, the Alaska's coming, or Alaska Anchorage coming back uh, for this coming year. We did have a idea of, I know you had mentioned doing like a, if we were the commissioner of NCAA hockey, you know, any sort of realignment, that's a big kind of topic. And we had plenty to talk to, to talk about this month. So maybe we should shove that off again. That might be like a July uh, podcast. That could be a July or August pod- podcast, but talking about some of these newcomers you know, I saw Lindenwood was added to UND's schedule for next year, so you know, you're going to be seeing them and you know, facing off against some NCHC teams, at least at least one of them. Um, but that's it, like Augustana. That's kind of an interesting one for me because it's a new, not only just a new college, but a new state that has NCAA hockey because they're in the uh, St. Louis suburbs. Um, not sure the exact town. Maybe it is Lindenwood. I don't know. I don't think that's the town, but it's somewhere in St. Charles, somewhere St. Charles. Okay. So that's, uh, in the, uh, St. Louis area, uh, in Missouri. And so it's exciting to get another state represented in NCAA hockey. Um, and it'll be interesting to know where they, where they end up. And they're a team that has had a very good, um, run as a club team. I've won a couple of national titles at the club level. And, um, and like I said, they, and they have a, a newer, newish facility, a facility that will be hosting a NCAA regional in a few years. It's kind of the uh, Blues practice facility there in uh, in St. Louis or suburban St. Louis. So it seems like they have a lot of things going for them. Um, obviously, they don't have the conference home yet, uh, but it seems like they're in a decent position to, you know. Um, become a viable program. Whereas a team well, as a program like Stonehill, I couldn't tell you much about them other than they're in the Boston suburbs. There's a ton of teams in that area. They're probably not going to be struggling for recruits. And I think their path to getting into a conference, either Atlantic hockey or is rumors that Atlantic hockey could split off. I mean, they're, they're getting to the point where, what do you do with Long Island as well? It's potential that you could have two, six or seven or eight team leagues form um, out east, which would add another uh, automatic qualifier for the tournament. Um, I Like I said before, as far as realignment goes, I do think that there's a, a, another set of dominoes that's going to fall with more teams announcing moves to D1. That's going to... That's going to accelerate that process. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll do that sort of speculation of like 
there's there's also it's like the what realistically could happen and then there's the what would we do if we're trying to be fun and throw realism out the window um there's that sort of way that we could do that as well and so in one of these uh off-season podcasts i think that those are the kind of topics that we'll get into but i think that that is enough for now we don't have any questions from our loyal uh fan base no no questions is that correct Nope. Well, if uh, that's a shame, we usually have. I, I'm. I don't know. We should do a welfare check on Dan Jacobson. <laughs> um, we're at least uh, pretty uh, confident. We usually get at least one from Dan. Uh-huh. So I hope you're doing well. Uh, but uh, I know summer schedules. You know, people are getting out, and weather's nice now. So hopefully you're hopefully you're enjoying the uh, the summer or the early part of it. I guess so far. Uh, but that'll, uh, well, if you, and if you do judging, have a, judging by Dan's, uh, Twitter feed here, it looks like, uh, he checked in a few times on untapped. So I'm pretty sure he was uh day drinking today. So, all right. Well, oh, that's, that's, uh, I'll, I'll grant you the excuse there. There you uh, go. Sounds like you were, you were having fun, but in the future, if you do have questions or comments, uh, you can send them over to Weldy, uh, at, at more clappers, M O A R clappers, more clappers. And you can also uh, send an email to me at uh, huskies hockey podcast at gmail.com. Also, any sort of advertising inquiries can be directed uh, to the email or, or to Wally's well, uh, Twitter account. He can forward that to me. Uh, excited to have Graham paid on board. Graham paid on board. Uh, and we, and, and we, we appreciate the support. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Unless you have anything else, any, any final words, Mr. Weldy? Um, no, I'm looking forward to our, uh, realignment discussion. Um, you know, sometime in the next, uh, couple months. Um, and then maybe, you know, if we, um, maybe a little bit of a deeper dive into some, uh, you know, uh, commits, um, or if, if we know of some freshmen that are going to be coming in, you know, maybe we could do like a little bit of a mini scouting report where, where we can go into a little bit. So that, those are some ideas that I'm kind of working on here. Um, I do want to say if we do a new realignment, or I wouldn't say like if we as in if college hockey goes that route where they do more conferences and everything, I got to I gotta think they raise it from six teams to eight for the minimum for the automatic qualifier. I don't think... I don't think six teams is going to be enough with the um, addition of, you know, so many different colleges and they're, you know, coming back of other colleges as well that took some time off, Um, which not going to lie is a little bit of a surprise considering when the wave of of realignment happened in the early teens, um, you know, we didn't really, you know, think this many teams would still be saved. Um, and so I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting. Um, but I've got already uh, kind of a group of what to do with some of these other ones. And I will say the NCHC looks a lot different in my, in my really? blueprint. So a little bit of a tease. Ah, I, I am intrigued. Um, I like that, so. that bumping it up to eight teams is a nice little subtle passive aggressive Minnesota nice way to say to the Big Ten, you gotta add another team. Right. Um so 
Uh, and it ain't going to be and Illinois. It ain't going to be uh, Illinois. As much as that one Twitter account future. who has been trying to sell his handle for about, what, 10 years have said Illinois is on the cusp. Yeah, well, mm. it's uh, maybe now so, they make the announcement. Maybe it was just an all, just a ruse. Yeah, right. Exactly. We're going to cancel it out, but then mm. we're going to actually go for it. But so. yeah, that sounds like a fun episode for, for the summer. So uh, tune in next time. Who knows? Maybe we got a eight new AD to talk about. Maybe we got a new assistant coach to talk new about. New women's coach. New women's coach to talk about. Um, as uh, for our history, that'll probably be announced tomorrow. All three of those things. <laughs> all three of them will come um, down right right now. So, so barring a, an emergency podcast addendum, uh, like we did for the Bassey uh, commit, I guess we'll talk to you in a month. Uh, until then. Uh, Go Huskies! Woo!